know you're asking me, man, when are we going to get out of the pits? Well, I think we only got a couple more, and I think you're going to be blessed with both of them. But, you know, we all know someone who has one. Perhaps it's your child. Maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's a relative or a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. You know the one I'm talking about. The one who has lost their moral compass and seems to be neck deep in sin. You know the one. The one who no longer seems to understand right from wrong. You know the one. She seems insensitive to spiritual matters, especially about where she's going to spend eternity. You know the one. The one who seems to be in slavery to Satan rather than in service to God. You know the one. The one who no longer responds to his conscience and really doesn't have a clue about just how far he's gone from the ways of God. Man, we pray for him. We beg him to join us at church. We try to lead them by a good example. We talk to them. Sometimes we have sleepless nights because of them. Our hearts break for them. Who are we talking about? The hard-hearted. Those with hard hearts. But, what about you? Are there things that God's been talking to you about for a long time now? But when he does, he finds that your heart is hardened about what he wants to talk to you about. Are there things in your past that are unconfessed? Are there, uh, is there sin in your life that uh, is causing God to not be able to work through you like he wants? Do you ever feel guilty about things that you've done or things that you haven't done? Hebrews chapter 3, the author wrote this. Beware, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you a heart of unbelief that tempts you to depart from the living God. But encourage one another every day, as long as it is still called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold on to, from the begin, to the beginning of our faith steadfast to the very end. Not only do we know people who have hard hearts, but I fear that oftentimes Christians can get a hard heart. Today we're going to see the gracious ways that God thaws the hearts of Joseph's brothers. And it also happens to be the way that God reaches out to uh, his children that have gone wayward. And it's also the way that God deals with those who habitually reject him. Now you may remember that last week 
that Joseph interpreted two dreams by the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh, the, the king of the strongest nation in the world at that time. His dreams foretold of a horrible famine that would come over the whole world. And after interpreting these dreams, Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of storing up grain and other food during the seven years of plenty so that they would have food for the seven years of famine. Well, now the famine has arrived. The seven years of great abundance have come and gone in Egypt, and now the seven years of famine have hit full force. Read it with me in Genesis chapter 41, beginning in verse 53. The seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all the lands, but in all the lands of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Whatever he says, you do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the land. Let us pray. Father God, it is our prayer today that you pierce the hard-hearted, whether they are children who have gone their own way or people who have not submitted their lives to you. Lord, we are convinced based on the word of God that you are doing this, that you will do this, and that you can do this. Would you do it today in Jesus' name? And all the people of God said, amen. amen. So because the, of the wisdom that God gave to Joseph, only Egypt, the only nation in the world, only Egypt had enough food and provisions to survive this international disaster. And people came from nations everywhere, came to Egypt in droves, looking for food enough to eat, including Joseph's family. Joseph's family hoping to get just enough food to survive this famine. But friends, in this story, not only does Joseph provide food for his family, not only does he save the nation of Israel, but Joseph also is trying to get to his brothers. He's trying to get them to face their own selves honestly. He's trying to get them to put away their unfaithful ways. He's trying to get them to put away their deceitful ways. And so we find here in the book that sometimes in order to reach the hard-hearted, God puts us in a position of extreme need. Sometimes to reach the hard-hearted, God puts us in a place of extreme need. Let's read in chapter 42, verse 1. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall them. 
And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was also in the land of Canaan. So Jacob, Joseph's father, and tells the other boys, why are you standing around looking at each other while your families are starving to death? What are you doing? Go to Egypt and get us some food. But they look each other at each other and they begin acting a little strange. The Bible tells us that the guilt and the struggle with the sin that's over 20 years old now keeps them from taking critical steps to feed their families. What is that sin? Think of it. It took the possibility of starvation for God to get their attention. It took the possibility of starvation to get these brothers to face the sin they had committed against Joseph. You know, that's the same way God works with us. A lot of times, God will pinch us. Amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? When mama pinches you because you're fidgeting around, amen, God wants to pinch you to get your attention. But God pinches you and I in the area of material need. And he does that because he wants us to take a look at ourselves. He wants us to take a look at our priorities. He wants us to take a look at uh, the sin that's in our life and to address that sin. You know, Jesus told a story that's similar. He said that there was this man in a similar situation who inherited a whole bunch of money from his daddy. And so he blew it, living like a heathen. And it was only after that boy found himself in a pig pen. It was only after that boy was in extreme need that he came to his senses and returned home. Don't be surprised, friend, if God puts you or puts the hard-hearted people you know in a position of extreme need. God will take extreme measures to reach all of those who will come to him. Now, not only will God use uh, the position of extreme need to reach the hard-hearted, but sometimes to reach the hard-hearted, God will also allow people to experience the pain of harsh treatment. Let's look in verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he, it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke harshly to them. He said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. So one day, Joseph looks up and lo and behold, who comes in the door but his brothers to buy some food. The same ones who threw him in the pit. The same ones who left him, left him for dead. The same ones who wanted him to starve to death. And now they come asking for food. The same ones who are eating their lunch while Joseph is begging for mercy. The same ones who ignored his cries for help are now coming and asking Joseph 
for his help. I wonder what kind of thoughts were going through Joseph's mind. Hmm. How sweet justice. How sweet it is. I'll get them back now. Amen. CIA, we talked a little bit about revenge this past Wednesday. And we talked about forgiveness this Wednesday. And it was amazing that you don't have to teach revenge to kids. They already know it. Whoever does unto me, I'll do unto him likewise. Amen. That's what I would have thought, I think, if I was Joseph, if I'm honest with myself. So ten. Ten of Joseph's brothers arrive in Egypt, probably with hundreds of others, to buy some food from Joseph. And without even realizing it, those brothers are fulfilling the prophecy of Joseph's dreams 20 years before. Do you remember those dreams when we first began? In chapter 37, uh, I believe, yeah, look in verse 6. Joseph said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There, there we were, uh, binding shevs in the field. And behold, my chef arose and stood upright. And indeed, your shevs stood all around, and get this, bowed down to mine. Mm-hmm. And his brother said to him, shall, we in, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Here, just two short chapters, but 20 years later, we find the brothers bowing before Joseph, asking for mercy. When the brothers came to Joseph, they didn't even know who he was. They didn't recognize him. After all, he was only 17 years old when they threw him in the pit. And now, he's nearly 40. All they saw was an Egyptian governor speaking harshly to them through an interpreter. You know, I think that through all the tests that Joseph has gone through thus far, I believe this one was the most difficult. This test of forgiveness was probably the most difficult. Here, the very people who had abused him, wanted to kill him, laughed at him, and mocked him, the very ones who abused him were now utterly defenseless, bowing before him. And he had all the power. He could have done anything he wanted with those boys. You know, the temptation to exact revenge is normal. Like I said, you don't even have to teach kids that. They know it. But when you come face to face with somebody who's hurt you, then you really want to give it to them, amen? You really want them to get it good. But you know what? That's also the very moment, friend, that you discover if you've truly forgiven them or not. When you're face to face with the people who have hurt you the most. So as the years have passed, I believe Joseph, Joseph was willing to forgive. He was willing to forgive of all the injustices that were done to him. Think of it. Apparently, he forgave his brothers because we know that he ended up giving them food. No doubt he struggled with forgiving Potiphar and Potiphar's wife, but he moved on from that. He had to be forced to forgive, basically, Pharaoh's butler, who forgot all about him after he got out of jail. 
But not only did Joseph forgive, not only had Joseph forgiven, but I see here in the scriptures where Joseph forgot. He'd also forgotten. Let's go back to, to chapter 41, back up a little bit, and look in verse 51. Well, let's back up to verse 50. And to Joseph, this is before the famine, and to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom were Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Get this. For God has made me forget all my toil and all of my father's house. He forgot all of the pain. He forgot what his brothers did to him and named his firstborn son Manasseh. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Wow. Not only did Joseph forgive, but I believe Joseph forgot. What is he forgetting? Did, did Joseph forget how he was betrayed by his brothers? Did Joseph forget that he was thrown into that pit? Did Joseph forget that he was sold into slavery? Did Joseph forget the prison? I doubt it. I say an absolute no. He remembered all those things well. But instead of allowing the pain of the past to spoil the joy of the present, instead of allowing the pain of the past to destroy the joy of the future, God helped Joseph to forget the pain. To forget the pain associated with those events. And he even named his firstborn as a testimony of that fact. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Wow. You know what it boils down to? Joseph made a choice. Joseph made a choice not to be held captive by an unforgiving heart. He made a choice. So Joseph put the past behind him because it was just that. The past. Wasn't anything he could do about the past, but he knew that it was up to him to keep the past from ruining the present. Wow. You may have heard of the great philosopher. Her name was Lucy from the Peanuts comic strip. Amen. One day, Lucy explained to Charlie Brown, who was explaining to her why she had failed to catch this fly ball. And she said, sorry I missed that fly ball, Charlie Brown. I thought I had it, and suddenly I remembered all the other fly balls I missed, and the past got in my eyes. Friends, don't let the past get in your eyes this morning. Don't let the past take the joy from your present. Don't let the past take the joy from your future. God is more focused on your future than he is your past. And you need to forgive. You see, it's forgiveness, friend, that is the key that releases us from the chains of resentment. Forgiveness is the key that releases us, unlocks us from the handcuffs of hatred. Forgiveness will do that. But you would have to agree with me this. 
Forgiveness requires sacrifice. Doesn't it? Forgiveness is hard work. Forgiveness ain't easy. Forgiveness is a sacrifice. Just ask Jesus. Just ask Jesus. Just think. Jesus sacrificed not only that our sin would be taken away, forgiven. Jesus sacrificed so that our sin would, ne- would be as it never was. As if it never was. That's forgiveness. And we're to follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. To continue on in our life as if it never happened. Will you remember it from time to time? Oh yeah. But you got to continue on in your life as if it never happened. It's difficult to forgive those who have wronged us. It's difficult to forgive those who have come against us and hurt us. Especially when they don't even acknowledge they've done wrong. It's difficult to forgive uh, even when people don't even ask for forgiveness. It's difficult to forgive. But you know, I've read this Bible many, many, many times. And nowhere in this Bible does it say that our willingness to forgive comes only after we're asked for forgiveness. It ain't there. Did you understand what I said? Nowhere does it say here that you have to be asked for forgiveness before you give it. You have to be willing to forgive. We're going to bow our heads just for a moment. And I want you to think of that person who needs your forgiveness. I want you to visualize his or her face. And for a moment, I want you to remember what they did to you. And when I say amen, I want you to move on with your life as if it never happened. Let's pray. Father God, I see this person who has hurt me so. But Father, I am not going to permit the pain of the past to take the joy from my future. Lord, only you can provide the strength and the ability, the wisdom and the grace for me to move on as if it never happened. But I want to glorify you, and I can't do that 
if I'm carrying this burden from the past. So Lord, I forgive that person once and for all. He or she is forgiven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we move on in verse 9, the Word of God says, Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them, and said, You are spies, and you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come here to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. <laughs> right? We're honest men. They're saying this to Joseph, right? We're honest men. And your servants are not spies. But he said to them, no, you've come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today. And one is no more. They're talking to the one who is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I spoke to you, saying, you are spies. In this manner you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother, and you shall be kept in prison. That your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. Do you know what they did to spies in that day? They killed him. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you will die. Here, Joseph realizes that his position in Egypt is much more than a blessing for what he's gone through. He realizes his position is much more than an opportunity for revenge. It's here he realizes that he was put into this position to preserve his whole family. He was going to provide food for his whole family. But Joseph does give them a little taste of their own medicine, amen? He gives them a little taste of what he endured, not as punishment, but as preparation. He throws them in the clink. He throws them in prison. You see, through the pain of harsh treatment, Joseph hopes that his brothers are going to kind of come clean. He hopes that his brothers will acknowledge their sin and be forthcoming about what they've done. And I want to tell you today that God desires that for you and I too. So many times we, we sin and we go right along our merry way, pretending like it never happened. We hold these secret sins in our life, thinking that we're hiding them from God. But you ain't hiding nothing from God. But we try to do that. And I want you to know that God will allow you to experience pain in order to get you to acknowledge your sin. He wants you to confess that to him, acknowledge that to him, and come clean, just like Joseph wanted for his brothers. Sometimes, to reach the hard-hearted, God has to permit the pain of harsh treatment. But not only that, sometimes to reach the hard heart, God will also permit them to feel the press of solitude. Let's read in verse 17. And so he put them all together in the prison for three days. 
Then Joseph said to them the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. Now I wonder if they scratched their head and said, I wonder why this Egyptian governor fears God. Let's keep going. If you are honest men, ha ha ha, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to the prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so that your word will be verified and you shall not die. And so they did. You see, the time that Joseph's brothers spent in jail was very valuable for him. Solitude is a good thing according to God. Even if you don't have some sin that you got to deal with, solitude is a good thing with God. Solitude will allow you to meet with God one-on-one, -on -one, without distraction, without interruption. And you know, just like I do, that our lives are so busy. We talked about this in Sunday school. We're so busy. We don't stop to do the things in our life that will have some eternal value. You don't stop to, to witness to that homeless man. You don't stop to help out that elderly person having a hard time. Why? You're too busy. Your schedule's too full. And so you go along your merry way doing the things that have no value at all and pass up the golden opportunity that God gave you for reward. We do it all the time. From our first waking hour to the minute we go to bed, it seems like we're on the go. And often, that keeps us from God. And get this, he don't like it. Do you hear me? Your busyness keeps you from God, and he don't like it. Now, what are you going to do about it? Many times, the only way we grow, only way we grow as Christians is by spending time alone with God. And if you're not growing, then you're dying. So you need to spend time alone with God. Look in verse 21. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty. Uh-oh, what are they doing here? Acknowledging their sin. We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore his distress, this distress, has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, the sin, Don't sin against this boy? And you wouldn't listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept. He wept as they acknowledged their sin against him. Then he returned to them again and talked with them, and he took Simeon from them, bound him before their eyes, and I'm sure took, them, took him to prison. When the brothers were there talking amongst themselves, they're unaware that Joseph understood every word they were saying. For the first time, though, for the very first time, somehow, some way, they seem to realize that the reason they're in prison now is because of what they did to Joseph 20 years ago. Their blood has been called against them. And the words that they use there, that word we in verse 21 means we all. In other words, we are all guilty. We all saw the anguish of his soul. We all would not listen as he pled with us. Friend, I think it's right here 
right here, that those brothers made the first step to overcoming their hard heart because they took personal responsibility for their sin. It's the same way with us. It's the first step to coming to Jesus is acknowledging you got a sin problem and you can't do nothing about it. Only Jesus can. When we teach the kids the ABCs of salvation, the first thing they learn is A. What does A stand for? Admit what? Admit your sins. Then and only then can you move on to B, which means... Then and then only can you move on to C, Byron. Confess what? That Jesus is Lord. That's right, brother. Good job. The ABCs of salvation. Think about it. Just as Joseph begged for mercy from that pit, pleading, my brothers, please don't do this. Don't do this to me. Pleading for mercy. 20 years before, now these brothers realized they needed a little bit of the same mercy themselves. And they begged for mercy. Friend, I want to tell you this. Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. You may sin and you think, well, I got away with it today. And you may have today. You may sin and not have any consequences for a week. Or a month. A year or a decade. But it took 20 years for the consequences of these brothers' sin to come upon them. But when it did, it came. Sin always has consequences. And these brothers are just beginning to realize how painful the consequences of sin are. But you know, sometimes to reach the hard-hearted, God's got to go further. Because sometimes the hard-hearted have absolutely got to see proof of God's presence. Look in verse 25. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain to restore every man's money to his sack and to give him provisions for the journey. Thus he did for all of them. So they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of his sack. And he said to his brothers, My money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. And listen to the way they responded. Then their hearts failed them. And they were afraid, and they said to one another, What is this? That God has done to us. At some point in this return trip, one of the brothers opens up his bag to feed his donkey, and he discovers that his money's in there too. But for some reason, he just ain't very happy about it. Man, if I spent $200 in groceries at Walmart and I got home and I opened up one of my sacks and there was my $200, I would be ecstatic about it. Amen? But they're not very happy. In fact, they're very upset. 
In fact, they're scared to death, verse 28. Their hearts failed them and they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? Friend, these hard-hearted brothers for the first time have felt the full impact of their sin and now for the first time, they're sensing God at work in their lives. They're sensing Him at work and they begin to ask, what is it that God is doing here? What is God up to? What's God trying to show me? For the first time in the whole story, one of those hard-hearted brothers mentions God. What is this that God has done to us? Now, how did that happen? How did it get to where they're all of a sudden mentioning God? How does God reach out to the hard-hearted? Well, often... He urges them to respond by, by putting them in a position of extreme need. Other times, he may allow them to experience the pain of harsh treatment. He might permit them to feel the, the press of solitude to be lonely and by yourself. But perhaps the greatest cause for change in the life of a hard-hearted person is seeing proof of God's presence. John Griffith lost every penny he had in the Great Depression. But later, he was eventually able to get a job tending a drawbridge for the railroad. One day, John's eight-year-old son, Greg, spent the day with his dad, and little Greg was messing around the office and asking a million questions. And then a ship was coming through the drawbridge, and it was raised up, and after a moment or so, John looked around and saw that Greg wasn't in the office. He looked around, and to his shock, he saw Greg wandering around and playing around the gears of this drawbridge. He hurried outside to rescue his son, but just then, he heard the whistle of the Memphis Express that had over 400 passengers in it. He yelled to his son, get up here. But the noise of the passing ship and the whistle of that train approaching made it impossible for the boy to hear. All of a sudden, John Griffith realized his horrible dilemma. Rescue his son and allow 400 people to perish? Or close the bridge and crush his son with those gears? He made an awful decision. And he closed that bridge. And it said that as the train passed by, John saw the face of the passengers in the windows. Some of them were reading. Some of them were just looking around outside. Some of them were waving. As the train went by, oblivious to the kind of sacrifice that had been made for him. Do we do the same thing to God? Day in and day out, we just kind of go by and give him a wave, not giving a second thought 
to what he did for us and the kind of sacrifice he made for us. You see, like John Griffith, God allowed the jaws of death to close on his son. But there's one big difference. The Memphis Express caught John by surprise. The sending of Jesus wasn't some panic move. It was planned. The death of Jesus was a choice God made. The death of Jesus was a choice that God made, get this, to demonstrate to you just how far he'd go to win your heart. How sad it is when people have a hard heart. How sad it is when the Christian hardens his heart. You may know someone who has a hard heart toward God. And God may be using the methods we talked about in this message to reach them and to draw them back to Him. But get this, He may use you. God may use you to reach the hard-hearted. You may be the proof of God's presence in the life of this hard-hearted person. In fact, you may be the only one that God uses to reach this hard-hearted person. So whatever you do, don't give up. Don't give up. Yo, Christian, maybe you have a hard heart. Maybe God has spoken to you time and time again about being a missionary in a foreign country. Maybe God has spoke to you time and time again about submitting to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe time and time again, God has spoke to you about becoming a faithful member of this church. But thus far, you've been unwilling to respond. I wonder, how long will he continue? How long will he keep going. Will there come a time when he will give you up to your own hard heart? Listen to what Jesus said. In John chapter 12 in verse 36 he said while you have the light believe in the light. Believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. 
But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. So what do I say to you today? While you have the light, believe in the light. If God has been speaking to you about something, don't put it off. If God has been trying to get you to address a sin issue or a, a, a calling or address something in your life, don't put it off. So thankful that Jesus didn't put off dying for me. So during this decision time, and it is just that, it's a decision time for all of us. Are there things in our life that if we're honest with ourselves, we're just a little hard-hearted about? Let's pray that God would thaw the hard heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord above, God Almighty, eternal creator, maker of every man, woman, child, every soul. Oh, Lord.